We just watch the headlines from this week and we find that we have this world that is hard to live in and hard to find our way around in. Uh, we need that hope in the Lord, but the one thing we know also is there's more to this world than meets the eye. Think about it for a minute. you got the oceans, right? And they, uh, on the deepest part of the oceans where it's all down there, and just this past week, they found a glow-in-the-dark turtle they never knew was there before. <laughs> Every year, you hear some researcher who found some far-flung jungle in Java or something, find some species of some animal. They, we never knew that was there before. And then there are viruses. Trillions of them inhabit every one of our bodies. Most don't make your nose run or make your stomach upset. But researchers said this recently, viruses continually shuttle in and out of your body, and there are at least ten times more of them inside you every day than there are bacteria. They live in and on our cells, and a combination is absolutely unique to every single person. One sneeze can release up to 200 million individual viruses traveling across the room wherever you are at 200 miles per hour. <laughs> and all the germaphobes now want to go take a bath in Purell. <laughs> and then, then in this world behind the world, there are hummingbirds. I never thought about a hummingbird's tongue before. <laughs> The researchers tell us even more than a straw, there's a little split in the bottom of the tongue. When they put it into the nectar, it moves in there so quickly, and it opens up and forms kind of a suction. really works more like a pump than a straw drawing it up. It is a wonder of mechanics. It's amazing to me that scientists and researchers discover more of God's creation with every passing year. There's more to this world than meets the eye. Now, you and I can be fascinated by what National Geographic or Discovery or Animal Planet uh, shares with us, but still there's more than that. There's a world beyond what researchers can track. There is a world beyond what our best cameras can capture. We might call it the spiritual world. And in this spiritual world, there are spiritual beings that are engaged in life behind the scenes of every moment on planet Earth that is, in fact, influencing every moment of life on planet Earth. Now, I wonder how that strikes you when you hear that idea. Maybe you grew up with faith and, and spiritual talk like that is as natural to you as ordering a pizza. But maybe you're here this morning and you say, I'm just, I'm just a clear-eyed realist and I deal with facts and evidence. That's what's there. And spiritual world to you seems like some kind of spooky childishness, you know, woo or some kind of fantasy for people who have to find some way to deal with the realities that are in the world. I mean, really, wouldn't you think that in a world that is so overrun with data, so committed to stuff we can see and we can touch and we can measure and we can survey and we can chart, that this idea of a spiritual world would be kind of a, a primitive leftover in a few spots. I mean, we're, we're sophisticated. We've, we've, we're modern people. We've kind of grown up, and that's going to be fading away by now. But there's much too broad a sense of this spiritual world among too many people across too many cultures to ignore it. The writer C.S. Lewis said that his first conscious spiritual thought was when he was a very young boy and looked across at the Castle Raw Hills just away from him. And he said, I had inside me what I can only describe as a sense of longing. Much later in his life, after he became a Christian, he said, I find, if I find in myself a longing for things for which there is no earthly explanation, that must mean I was created for another world. 
He's not alone in that sense that there's something else. There's a rising tide of spirituality in our culture and a growing openness to all things labeled as spiritual. Think about it. Think about how many books or movies or television shows have to do with the unseen or mysterious evidences of some life beyond. Think about how many things are marketed as spiritual. Candles or lotions or vacations or experiences. And here's the thing that's really interesting. Many of the folks who identify themselves as having no religious faith, which is in fact the largest and fastest growing number of uh, of religious identification in the United States, the so-called nuns, those who identify themselves having no religious faith would in fact describe themselves as spiritual. They would say, oh, I'm not religious, but I'm, I'm very spiritual. There's so much labeled as spiritual in our world that even those who have Christian faith find themselves impacted by it as much as those who claim no religious faith at all. There are spiritual actions, there are spiritual claims, there are spiritual themes, there are ideas that intersect into our everyday world. And those spiritual things are a powerfully defining force in many lives. They're defining direction, they're defining decisions, they're defining positions, they're defining hope in those lives. So, so we've been talking about hope, about what it means to be a people who actually live the hope that we have, and the hope we talk about is this confident expectation that, that God is good and that's all rooted in who Jesus is. But here's what I'm discovering. If we're going to live hopeful ourselves, and we're going to share the hope that is in us with others who have no Christian faith, then we're going to have to deal with the reality of the spiritual world and tune our spiritual senses to discover the truth about what's really going on there. So we're going to look at that this morning as we continue to walk through uh, this idea of what hope is in 1 John. If you have your copy of God's Word, I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 4. Pastor Jason's been leading us for this year in discovering what hope is. We've walked verse by verse through this book. John, the beloved disciple, writes to a group of Christians both to help them confirm their faith and to encourage their faithfulness. And last week we saw that, that when we abide or remain in Jesus by our glad obedience to Him, then the Holy Spirit assures our heart that we're related to Him, that He has His presence with us and His power for us. And that, that little sentence seems to remind John about this larger spiritual world that we are involved in. So would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? 1 John chapter 4, we'll begin with verse 1. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Open up those notes on your worship guide or in the church app. You can see that. And you notice there at the beginning that John begins with this word, beloved. He's writing as a pastor. So he's not condemning. He's not angry. He's 
but He's tender and compassionate. May it's a genuine concern for their spiritual lives and their spiritual health. So I want you to follow as we kind of build what point He's making as each one connects to the next thing. And the base thing that He says is this, that our world is inhabited by many spirits. Our world is inhabited by many spirits. Now, John doesn't flinch to affirm that there are multiple spirits at work in the world. He accepts it as fact that there's more to this world than meets the eye. But we need to kind of grasp this idea. What are the spirits? What are we, what are we talking about? Well, they're not ghosts. Not things that they go bump in the night or things that slip by out of your out of your sight. We're not talking about a fictional character like Charles Dickens, you know, Ghost of Christmas, past and present and future. And we're not talking about some ancient intergalactic creatures who visited here long ago and have come across dimensions like some fictional things in movies like Transformers with the Autobots or Optimus Prime or even in Star Wars with the Force. We're not talking about spirits. We're not talking about a tradition or a sense of place to something. We're not even talking about the spirits of people, the life principle, the core of a person's personality, emotion, thought, and will. No. Here we're talking about spirits which are unseen, created beings which can know, decide, act, and influence. Spirits are unseen, created beings which can know, decide, act, and influence. And the spirit world intersects our world. But we are largely unaware of it. One of my favorite stories about this in the Bible is when the prophet Ezekiel uh, and, and his servant Gehazi were traveling. And they, at that time, uh, Israel was at war with Assyria. And they woke up one morning having slept in the night and found themselves surrounded by the Assyrian army. And Gehazi wakes Elisha up and says, what are we going to do? There's two of us. There's all of them. What are we going to do? Second Kings chapter 6, this is what it says. He said, Elisha, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. The Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. It didn't look like it, but he opened his eyes, and there all of a sudden he was, he was able to see the unseen world that was around him all the time. I wonder. Have you ever wondered what's going on behind the scenes of your everyday life? The places that you can't see in this world? Now, here's the thing that I think is important to see as well. These spirits are neither passive nor neutral. Spirits have values. And so when John uses there in verse 1, he uses the word believe. He's affirming these spirits have the intention to influence. Spirits make an appeal to individuals to be persuaded. They give allegiance to their values. The word believe, they're the same word for believe used throughout the Bible. To persuade, to trust to be convinced of. That's what they're acting to do. Now, this is critical because belief in us always leads to our behavior. Spirits can, can subtly influence belief, which means that at any moment, spirits may be impacting families and businesses and jobs and schools and students and politics and social issues and cultural trends and world events, any arena of human life 
where there is a value, an idea, a priority, a distinctive, a motive, any area that may affect the, the, the course of human behavior may be influenced by spirit. And that includes everybody in this room this morning. Now, what this doesn't do doesn't take away human responsibility. We're still responsible for our choices. But the facts are that your story and my story are spirit stories. We have no option about that. Because the world in which we live is inhabited by spirits. But not all spirits are the same. They don't share the same motive. They don't share the same values. They don't share the same allegiance. The word in these three little verses, the word spirit occurs six times. It's the same word every time. It is the word pneuma. E-N-E-U-M-A. Pneuma. The same root word from which we get pneumonia or pneumatic. It is the word breath. To breathe. So, if there's distinctions, what are they? Well, they're distinctions by a different source. Verse 2, he says, there are spirits that are from God. But in verse 3, he says, there are other spirits that are not from God. And not only that, these spirits have a different character. Some are true and some are false. Now, here's the thing. Logic tells us it's impossible to blend those two things. You can't be from God and not from God at the same time. You can't be both true and false at the same time. They, they, those things don't go together. They are fundamentally opposed to us. So what John is reminding us is that the spirit world is engaged in warfare. Which is the second thing he wants to remember. The world's full of spirits. But spirits at war threaten holy living. Hopeful living. Spirits at war threaten our hopeful living. So there's this battle going on. Now, battle for this control is for control really of the universe, but it's not anything that is new. Revelation 12 records an event that happened in heaven long in eternity past before history even began. In Revelation 12 it says this, Now war arose in the heavens, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So there are angels, created beings, they rebel against God, and those who lose in their rebellion are thrown down. Now human history begins. In the beginning, God created a world. He created human beings. He created a garden of Eden that was a paradise of beauty. And that exact same serpent, the one who's already rebelling against God, slithers in. Remember what happened? And he tempts Adam and Eve to rebel against God and not obey his authority. And they, and they fall. That's where the fall comes from. They listen to those lies. But after they sinned, God came and pronounced judgment. And he said to the serpent, there will from now on be enmity or hatred or war between you and the seed of the woman forever. So behind the scenes of human history, the, 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 the spirits of the serpent, demons, are battling the spirit of Almighty God, Holy Spirit, and the angels of God has prayed that are still loyal to Him. And the background of 
so much brokenness and misery across human history is directly tied to this spiritual battle behind the scenes. Those for God and those against Him. Those, the, they're battling for God and against Him, but for also control of human souls. Now, now here come you and I. We're just bopping along, doing our normal everyday life. We're just getting up and going to work, getting kids ready for school, we're paying the bills, we're doing our thing, we're cheering for who we cheer for on the weekends, doing our normal deal. And we are right in the middle of that battle. It has to happen around us, something else that happens to us, in us, within us, because the battleground is primarily for the human soul. Wherever the human soul is, if I can capture the soul and capture their beliefs, I can capture their behavior, and I can control history. It's at the human soul level. So when Paul writes in Ephesians, he says this, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's, that's Satan, the spirit that is not working the sons of disobedience, disobeying God. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is an army that has divisions, that have different kinds of war that they, that they wage, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil that are coming. We're right in the middle of that. The battle is for the controlling influence over souls. This is why living with hope in our life in the face of a world that is so difficult can be such a challenge because there's constantly this pull and this tug on our soul to lean into and believe the lies which had their very roots in hell. The battle strategy of Satan and his demons has not changed. He wants to create a situation where a human person disobeys God, and at the same time, he's come to steal, kill, and destroy anything in you of God. Anything of God's goodness, anything of God's love, anything of God's hope, anything of God's joy. He has created in that Place. He wants to destroy that away. And if we lean there always, despair wins the day and sunrise never comes. Let me stop right here, though, and bring some gospel clarity into the reality we've talked about so far. Yes, the world is full of spirits. Yes, spirits of war threaten our, our hopeful living. We're right in the middle of it. But some of us think of the struggles of the world as a cosmic wrestling match between good and evil warriors. Uh, this is not a battle of equals. The world's not watching a battle between a sovereign, almighty God and the serpent Satan who is opposing him and his demons. It's not hanging in balance between good and evil. With the outcome in doubt, we're biting our nails and our stomachs are not wondering what's really going to happen here. Who's really going to win here? Because you remember back in Genesis when God pronounced that judgment on the, uh, on the serpent after he said there'll be enmity between you and the seed of the woman, the next thing he said was, the seed of the woman will come and will crush your head. And the seed of the woman is Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, who comes to win the battle. So every day, Lord, every Lord's Day morning, we gather here. What we're doing, we gather here to mark the reality that God's Son, Jesus Fully God, fully man, born of, of, of the flesh, born of, of a woman, 
that Jesus died as a substitute to, to, to defeat sin and death and Satan, and then he rose again. And what that means is that the serpent has already been crushed. He is defeated. Yes, his tail still twitches. And there's poison in the tail. And it causes all kinds of issues. But the battle is won, and Jesus wins. Jesus wins when all is said and done. But there's still a battle. And we may find ourselves torn by the influence of a spirit that is not from God, that it is against Him, one that is, one that is false, pulling against us. So here's the third thing John wants us to realize. That the hopeful living we need requires holy discernment. Hopeful living requires holy discernment. Now, John gives two imperatives, or two commands here. In verse 1, he looks and he says, Do not believe every spirit. Don't believe every spirit. Again, the word believe there, to trust, put your confidence in, be persuaded by. He's saying, don't be naive. Don't be gullible. Don't assume just because someone is speaking compellingly that they're speaking the truth from God. Don't assume just because someone has a website or a video on YouTube or a posting on Facebook that they have the authority to speak what is true. They're describing an amazing experience. It must be from God. Not necessarily. He's saying, don't believe everything you hear. Have a healthy suspicion towards spiritual matters. It's Crucial, he says. Now, why? He says it there in verse 1. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. False prophets, those who are speaking, say they're speaking for God, but they're false. They, they know we're drawn to spiritual things. They may claim to speak for God and use the language we're familiar with and stories to stir our emotions and causes that we're drawn to, but yet they're, they're not now, where in the world did John get that idea? He heard Jesus say it. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. The reality is they are wolves seeking to devour and to kill you, but they look outwardly just like another sheep, like somebody else who's following God, like somebody who's a part of his family. Now understand what he's saying. It's not always the spiritual battle out there among the most evident things we see that are opposed to the things of God. Sometimes the spiritual battle comes cloaked in deception using the same language and the same things that we do. Remember, remember the battle we're in? Clever generals always try to get behind enemy lines and compromise the opposing force. So when Paul talked about this, the people who claimed to be operating on the same basis he was, he said this in 2 Corinthians, he said this, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Satan, they say, was the most beautiful of all of the angels. He disguised himself as light and beauty, but it's in fact death and destruction.
His servants describe themselves as servants of righteousness, saying, we're serving the same thing you are. We're doing the same thing that you are. Saying, don't believe everything you hear that has the name Jesus about it or the spiritual things around it. Don't, don't fall in for that. Don't do that. Do, he says, test every spirit. Test every test of spirit, says in verse 1. And we know what it means to test something, probe it. Some of you are expert watermelon plumpers. <laughs> Watermelons are in season. You go to the farmer's market and you plunk and plunk and plunk until you find the one that, that sounds about right. See that. Live in this part of the country, you're going to get radon testing. If you buy a house, make sure there's not some kind of gases that be harmful to your family's health that are invisible behind the scenes. I went a few weeks ago to the doctor, had some blood tests run. He called me two days later, talked for 10 minutes about things he saw in my bloodstream I would never have known anything about. These markers that were there. He's saying, test the spirit. Not to be cynical, but to look beneath the surface and the character of anything that's trying to teach you, grab your values, uh, uh, set your priority, uh, grab your motivation, and be there to see what's true. Because here's the thing. Spiritually maturing and hopeful Christians don't operate on how something makes us feel. We operate on whether or not something is true. We have to operate on what is true. And sometimes, Sometimes our maturity shows up as much in what we don't believe as in what we as what we do. So I raise the question, doesn't it? How do we know whether something is true or real? With a very specific lens, John says, I want you to look at your life, look at these influences in order to know whether the spirit you're hearing is of me or not. And here's what he gives thing he says. Holy discernment aligns life with the truth about Jesus. Holy discernment aligns life with the truth about Jesus. Now, John is very, very clear with that in verse 2. He says, by this you know. This is, this is how you know. How you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus, not from God. It comes down to a person's confession about Jesus. Now, this is not a mere acknowledgement that Jesus is, or that Jesus is good, or that Jesus is nice, or that I like Jesus and who he is. I'm all for Jesus. It's not that. It is a life-shaping affirmation and agreement of who Jesus is. Now, there are, there are two possibilities here. One is that you can hear someone give a true confession regarding Jesus' purpose and his nature. True confession regarding Jesus' purpose and his nature. So he says there in verse 2, that is, we know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. So his purpose, Jesus Christ, Christ, not his second name, but his title, title of royal honor and esteem, Christ, Messiah, the one anointed by God for rescuing and redeeming and reconciling sinners back to Christ. This is why Jesus came. Jesus said, remember, he said, I have come to seek and to save those who were lost. The reason the Son of God appeared was, was to take away 
the works of the devil, to destroy the works of the devil. God's come to do that, to redeem you, to reconcile you, to put you back to God. He's all about God's redeeming purposes. He's all about the gospel. He has a purpose from God that is larger than anything else we see on the planet. Please grasp, this is so crucial. The, the purpose of who Jesus is and what Jesus is about, notwithstanding all the things we heard last week in the coverage of the Pope and matters of faith, the realities of Jesus are the gospel of Jesus and God's purposes, not United States politics. That's not what Jesus Christ is, is about. I heard someone say one time, the Savior King rides neither donkeys nor elephants. He sits on a throne before whom donkeys and elephants kneel. That's who Jesus is. It's always about the gospel. But not only that, it's the nature of Jesus, of who he is. That Jesus come in the flesh. He's fully human. He's come from God. He's fully God. So to say that Jesus, not as a mere spiritual savant, on the order of all the other spiritual uh, leaders across human history. So it's not in, in this order. There's Buddha, and there's Confucius, and there's Muhammad, and there's Jesus. No. He's not as one of a bunch. He's not just a timeless teacher, a moral values God. He is God in the flesh. So the mystery of the Incarnation becomes the dividing line of how people look at Jesus. Now, so if you hear something or hear someone and you investigate it, and you know and you kind of get to know who it's coming from and where they're coming from, and you realize that this, this lines up with the reality of who Jesus is and why Jesus came, then you know that connects back to the Spirit of God because the Holy Spirit has a specific job. John 16, Jesus told us this. He said, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. He will glorify me through it, take what is mine, and declare it to you. He will guide you into all the truth about who Jesus is, what Jesus wants, what Jesus teaches. He wants us to know that reality that is there. But then we see other, all the Spirit continues to work in First Corinthians chapter 12. Paul writes, just understand no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is a curse, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. No one's going to recognize Jesus as their ultimate authority, the one before whom they bow, except the Spirit's working. Here's what the Spirit does. We have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God, but we have the mind of Christ. We see things the way Jesus does. We understand things the way Jesus does when the Spirit is working in us and showing us those realities. So that's the one side of this. On the other side, a spirit could give a false confession about those same things, about the purpose of Jesus and the nature of Jesus. If you listen real carefully, a lot of the contemporary talk about Jesus or Christian morality has no connection whatsoever to the redemptive purposes of God. And so what you get is a sanitized, three-piece suit, blow-dried, made-up-for-television Jesus that has nothing of the bloody nature of the cross. You don't get to have a Jesus without blood. You don't get to have a saving, a redeeming, without the bloody nature of who Jesus is. And by nature, often he seems a little more than just an enlightened human. Let me give you a very specific example. Sometimes it comes to us, and it's, um, it's, uh, it's very 
very clear, this is blatant, outright heresy. So it's, it's next Saturday morning. You're in your home, you're having your blueberry pancakes, it's a great Saturday morning. And there's a knock at the door. And you go and you open the door, and there are two nice people, your local Jehovah's Witnesses, have come to speak to you in your home. And when they do, many times we get nervous about that. Or you can get nervous. You go get your Bible, and you come back. And you ask him to turn to John chapter 1. And then you read John chapter 1, verse 1, which says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's the nature of Jesus. He's fully God and fully man. He said, now, would you open your Bible? Because they have a version called the Watchtower Translation of the Scriptures that they're bringing with them. Would you open yours to John chapter 1, sir? Would you read that for me? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. One letter changes you from truth to heresy. We can see that, we can grab a hold of that and understand that, but many, many times, more often than not, what we see with Jesus is a subtle dethroning a minimizing, a redefining of Jesus. Because we find things all around in the Spirit that find a way to treat Jesus as a kind of a pet, kind of a, a good luck charm. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to risk offending people. Fair warning. You also have your Facebook. You go on Facebook and somebody sends you a post that presents Jesus as the ultimate blessing. The ultimate blessing. If I can get 30 likes, you'll send this on and you'll post this, and then they'll come blessings and good to you, and prayers will be answered, and blessings will pour. Brothers and sisters, that makes Jesus cheap and is a mockery of his purpose and his nature. There's no reconciling power of Jesus Christ. It's just put in your quarter and pull the pull the, the lever and see if all the oranges come up and see what you get. That's not the true Jesus. We've got to be careful about participating with that and spinning it on. Same thing happens when we put Jesus in a spiritual Ziploc bag at the service on Sunday and go through the rest of our week and pull him out fresh on the next Sunday, having never given him another thought throughout the week. Or we treat Jesus like Play-Doh, that we can squeeze into our particular political or social mold. The problem I find many times is that if I do that, I end up with a Jesus who looks frightening like me and nothing like what Jesus really is and why Jesus really came. Now, John takes this idea further of minimizing Jesus, not recognizing the truth about Jesus. And he says there in verse 3, he says, anything, one does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. He it says it's, it's Antichrist. That, that he, he's pointing ahead here to the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness who will come and mimic Jesus and deceives part of the end times of the earth. But he's saying this spirit is already here. It's a spirit that annuls Jesus rather than standing in awe of him. It's a mindset against considering his claims to be true and operating life by him. It's, it's one to use Jesus for the best thing that I can. But it points ahead of the end times to the final battle between uh, evil against Jesus. But he says, guess this. It's already in the world now. It's 2,000 years ago he's writing this. It's already in the world now. Understand this. The battle of Armageddon 
begins one human heart at a time. It starts here. This is why it's so subtle. That's why discernment is so crucial. So anytime you're presented with something that's an idea or a value and wants to, wants to, to use your time or your energy or your ability to motivate you to act in some way, you've got to look at where it's coming from. Look at the fruit of it. Look at what's happening. If it claims to have the stamp of Jesus to be something spiritual, then you've got to ask the question, which Jesus are they talking about? Is it the true Jesus? Is there gospel there? Because here's what I want you to know. The spirits behind all those things, they have an opinion, and their goal is to persuade you of their opinion. It's crucial. If we're going to live hopeful and give away hope, that we be discerning about the truth and the nature of who Jesus is. Let's call it together. When Jesus' people practice holy discernment by measuring ideas and motives in their world by the truth about Jesus' nature and gospel, then those of us who do that will be enabled to live hopeful lives because we'll be confident in the power and the victory of Christ over Satan and every spirit that opposes the glory of God. So I just want to ask you, are you living as a thoughtful, discerning Christian? Or are you, are you, you use kind of a, a holy suspicion about things? Do you, do you gauge it? Do you look at it through the lens of who Jesus is and why He came in all areas? Or are you you're being gullible, putting yourself in a place of compromise or diminishing Jesus, or just simply losing hope because you're, you're listening to lies rather than the truth about Jesus? Maybe there's one particular area in your life. I heard the first service talked to three or four people had one particular area in their life where they sensed this battle going on. Maybe there's one particular area. Maybe as we begin to pray in a moment, you just want to come here and pray and say, Lord, help me see the truth and give me courage to, to live that. But it's also important for us to recognize this morning that only those who, who have the Spirit have the mind of Christ. And only those who are in a relationship with God by repenting of sin and trusting Christ alone to put them right with God can have the Spirit of God. If you have no relationship with Jesus, you've never stepped across the line of faith to trust Him, then with all the love I can muster, I'm telling you, you are standing with the serpent and the enemies of God. You are a sitting duck for the one who wants to destroy you and take you out. And it's not good for your life now, but it's even worse for your eternity because if we are with Him, you got to remember, they're the ones that get crushed and taken away forever. So maybe this morning it's your time to say, I'm done straddling the fence. And you can come here and kneel and say, Oh, Jesus, save me. Be my rescuer. Give me your life and your hope. There is more to this world than meets the eye. And that world is shaping the story you and I are living from now and for eternity. Let's stand together and pray. Lord, we pray in these moments that you would open our eyes to see you. That you would give us ears to hear your spirit. 
and gospel courage to act on what you're prompting to our souls at every moment. Lord, when the enemy is exposed, he battles back. And right now, there's probably somebody in here, their life's been turned on, their heart is racing, battling. But you're the victor. You're stronger. You come now and do your work in us as we respond to you and trust you to be the victor that you are. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.